Father, speak to your children this morning. We are here. We are expectant for a word, oh God. That would elevate us above our situations. That would elevate us above the hardness we are going through. A word, oh God, that would strengthen our faith, oh God. A word, oh God, that would enable us to rise beyond our circumstances and give you praise every day, every moment, in every season of our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So last week, our resident pastor preached, and then he said something very significant, and I hope I can continue from there. He said that praise should be our default attitude, that whatever happens in our lives, our default, our automatic response should be praise, whether good, whether bad, whether we are, we are healthy or whether we've had some ailments and disappointments and appointments, praise should be our default. And then he said that if we can remember, if we can remember what God has done for us in times past, then we can praise God. So in order to have an attitude, a default attitude, that's going to praise God, regardless of the circumstance that we go through, it means that we should be able to remember. That's one thing. But having a default attitude to praise that just doesn't come easy. I mean, look at Job. He went through so much in one day. Job lost everything. He lost all his children. He lost all his property. He lost his wife. And then he sat in ashes and he was filled with worlds and they became sores. And Job was sitting in all these. And you would have expected Job to curse God because his wife, whom he loved so much and married, came to him and said, ah, ah, brother, are you still loving this God? Are you okay? And Job looked at it and said, look, all praise be to God. Shall we not accept bad from him if we have been blessed all this while? He still kept his integrity. He still kept his relationship with God. And he still lifted up a praise to God in spite of everything. When I read that, I was reminded of a, a, a woman when I was in Holy Ghost Temple, Ron and Stewart. And, um, you know, weddings are great events. I love weddings. Um, yesterday I was at a wedding and the, the, the couple were giving their own vows. And the lady said something, look, if I were to be born 10,000 times, I'll still choose you. Everybody was like, yay, 10,000 times. She was still choosing. That's why she was still marry him 10,000 times over. The fans was not easy. And I was like, wow, um, that, that's very interesting. So, this lady, um, she was elderly, and her only son, her dearly beloved son, was going to get married. And there were plans. She had ordered flowers, fresh red roses, all the way from China. I mean, we were so exciting. Wedding day was approaching. A week or two, or I think a month to the wedding, the son fell seriously sick, and she rushed him to the hospital. By the time we got to the hospital, she was on the floor, 37. She was wailing because she had lost her dearly beloved son. I mean, I, the pain of it. And she kept saying and over and over that, look, the flowers, the water that I was going to use for the wedding, I'm going to use for a funeral. I mean, just looking at that woman was heartbreaking. It was heart-wrenching. Your dearly beloved son, he just passed suddenly. He fell sick suddenly. He took him to the hospital. Suddenly, he just, he just passed. It was very terrible. Sunday morning, we were still trying to recover. I got to church. Who should I see in front here? The same lady. She was in front there as usual, with her symbols as usual. And she was praising God and giving him all the worship. Everybody in church was stunned. Everybody was like, ah, is she the one? Is she the one who just lost her son? Is she the one that was at the 37 hospital? She was literally rolling on the floor. I mean, the pain was indescribable. 
And I'm not saying two Sundays later, three Sundays later, four Sundays later, that same Sunday, two days later, she was in church and she was praising God. And we all wondered if we could only just admire her strength. She didn't just come for that Sunday. Tuesday service, she was there. I was like, really? And it wasn't like she wasn't in pain, no. She was in deep pain. She just kept saying it over and over. But in spite of all her pain, she still chose to give God praise. And I couldn't. We couldn't but help to wonder that what is it? What is it that makes people do this? How can this woman be like Job, a Job in our day, when you lose your only beloved son, and then you come to church and you are giving God all the praise? And one of the things I realized is that it takes practice. I'm getting to my own message. It takes practice. It takes a certain level of knowing God. It takes a certain level of believing something about God such that when the hard things hit us, we are not going to complain. We are not murmuring. We are not overthinking things. We are not asking God a thousand, why? Why me? Why did this happen? You could have saved him. Isn't that you had no power? So today we are going to look at someone who is called Jehoshaphat. He was faced with an overwhelming situation, something that made him greatly afraid and greatly dismayed, and yet he still chose to be in God's presence, to still go to God. So the title of my message this morning is Stay Because He Can. Stay Because He Can. Most times when uh, we are going through the good times, we are so excited. We come and sing like the choir song, Oh yeah, oh yeah, Sorry, it's easy to tell your soul to praise God when everything is going on well. You got a new job promotion, you got some business contracts, some good money came in, your marriage is working, your relationships are working. That school you applied to you just called you and said, Hey, we are giving you scholarship, um, maybe 40,000 pounds. Go to school, everything, everything is working. Pay your kids' school fees. There's so much food in their house, you don't even know what to do with it. It's so easy to praise God, but what if things don't go well? Would you stay? Would you stay in God's presence? And would you stay knowing that he can and not that he can't? So sometimes you hear many people say that, oh, oh, and actually want to want to be. I don't know. So it's like when the hard things hit us, we are so shaken. We are so amazed. We are like, why me that we feel like the right solution for us to do is to draw back. You, you, I just need some space. I just need some space from doing what I regular, regularly do. I just need some space in God's presence. But this morning, I came to tell you and hopefully to encourage you that the right place to be when all these things happen to you in life is to stay in God's presence because he can. So we are going to read from First Chronicles chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a really long scripture, so I'm going to give us a little background to it, and then we are going to read some parts. Other than that, it will be a very lengthy reading. So, this story is about Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. Now, unlike many of the other kings of Judah, who some scripture says that they, they served God, they, they were like Ahab, they did bad things, Ahab was a very evil king, etc. But Jehoshaphat loved God, and, and he loved to do what God wanted him to do. And so scripture says that he had gone to war and he had won a great many battle. So one day he was sitting in his, on his throne, minding his own business. And then someone, scripture actually says that someone or some people came to tell him that, hey, King Jehoshaphat, you just say chill. You don't know what's going to happen, eh? Let me tell you, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Syrians have formed the conglomerate. They are coming to fight you. And here you are. Just sitting on your throne. You have no idea. And when he said, they said that, scripture says that the king Jehoshaphat's heart was afraid. 
he was greatly dismayed. He did not know what to do because these were mighty nations. It wasn't that just one nation was coming to fight him. There were three nations that were coming against him. And he didn't know what to do. I mean, he needed a battle strategy. He probably could have done like the other kings, called on Egypt to help him. Hey, I'm going to war. I need help. Or called on the king of Israel and said, look, I have this conglomerate of nations coming to fight me. I need help. I'm afraid. I need a battle strategy. Where are your commanders? Come, let's get together. Let's take plans. I need the latest weaponry. That is what King Jehoshaphat should have done. But scripture says that King Jehoshaphat was so greatly afraid. And guess what he did? He set his heart on seeking the Lord. So I'm going to read that part so that we can actually see for ourselves in scripture that Jehoshaphat set his heart on seeking God. So um, it happened after this that, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others, I mean there were many others, besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, etc., etc. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. Other version says that he was greatly dismayed. So he feared and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And scripture says that he set himself to seek the Lord. Now, to set himself to seek the Lord, you might have thought that it, it's one thing, it's not a one-time thing, but if you read Second Chronicles 19, verse 3, it also tells us that one of the prophets testified that the thing about Jehoshaphat is that he was always in default, setting, seeking the Lord. So in other past battles, other events that happened in his life, he always set his heart to seek the Lord. He was known for seeking the Lord. He was practiced at seeking God. So naturally, when he faced another uh, opposition like that, his first response was that he sought the Lord. So when he was in great trouble, when he thought that there was nothing he could do about it, he went back to seek the Lord. Now before I go, and I just want to say that before we can get into default, seeking the Lord, the first thing Pastor Ima said last week was that we ought to remember what God has done for us. But the second thing is that we have to be practiced at seeking God. We should have done it over and over in the little circumstances, in the big circumstances, just as how the prophet testified of Jehoshaphat, that he was practiced, he had in times past sought the Lord on many other affairs. So he was practiced at it. To practice something means to do it over and over and over again, just as how the choir come for rehearsal and they sing one line over and over and over again sometimes just so they can get it. We need to do some form of rehearsal so that we can get right at it. I'm going to deviate off my tablets a little. I remember once when I was working at ICGC head office and a colleague of mine, something came up when we were discussing. And she was like, oh, I don't tell my, I mean, my husband, he's not my best friend. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, how is it possible? She says, oh, no, I can't tell him. Maybe my husband, I'm going to tell him this. I'm like, oh, well, of course, I was wondering. Then somebody else, when we were doing tutorials, back then when we were at University of Ghana, was saying that we was a counseling class. We were talking about how to spice up your marriage, etc. Counseling psychology. So we had to do tutorials on that. So I was a TA for the day, and then one lady raised her hand and said, "Ah, someone brought a problem." And the general consensus was that you ought to spend more time with your husband. I mean, going here, going there, etc. You need to build the relationship. And the first thing she said was, "Ah, now don't my tree is not good. Don't you get tired of him?" 
I want you to get tired of him. I want you just be, I mean, every day I'll be with him, etc. But this woman is a busy woman. She goes for years. She, sometimes she's traveling here. Sometimes she's there. She's hardly ever at home. But she was saying that, don't you get tired? Don't you get tired of him, etc. And it's not a very good statement to make because it shows that the marriage is likely to be in distress. It means that everything is probably not going on right. I mean, no marriage is perfect. But to actually say that, don't you get tired of him always being because it wasn't like you were always going to be with him I mean you married him so of course they are with him for life but they had a married situation and one of the key things was about making time for each other so if you feel that making time for each other is going to make you bored to death or get tired of your husband then it shows that there's something significant that's the matter so when we got married when we got married I've never been a girl's girl sort of person but I've never ever had a best friend. Like, this girl is my best friend. The way girls, girls do their things. So once, when we were going to get married, I read a very good book that impacted me. And the book actually said that marriages that last longer is because the couples are best friends. I mean, they gel, they talk together, etc. I had known Emmanuel for quite some time, but I made up my mind. I made up my mind right there and then that my husband is my best friend. I had never had a best friend. In fact, I went to Google, what does it mean to be a best friend? I read what it meant to be a best friend. And like that person is your buddy buddy. The first person you talk to about anything that happens in your life, this, 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 that. I said, hey, this is not going to be easy because I like to keep to myself and mind my own business. I had made up my mind that when I do marry, I want my marriage to work. So I set to work. I tasked myself to be practiced at being a best friend, to practice making him my best friend, to practice making him my default go-to person, the automatic person I want to just about, to about, etc. So it had to be intentional because it was something I wasn't used to at all. And right now, today by God's grace, if you ask me who is your best, so I started saying it to even back then, who is your best friend? Emmanuel. Who is your best friend? Emmanuel. Mekayama. Everybody knew that. Charlie, my best friend is Emmanuel. When I married, by God's grace, and we are still married, doing seven years by God's grace. If you ask me right now, who is your best friend? I say it's Emmanuel. Because I made up my mind that you know, that was going to be my default response. He is my best friend. He is my go-to person. So, he knows me way more than my family ever did. He knows me way more than my sister, who is my body, but he ever does because he is my best friend. But I had to make up my mind. I had to be practiced at it. And that's the same thing Jehoshaphat did. He made up his mind and he was practiced at it. So when this trouble came and it was such a great thing to him and he was so greatly dismayed, he decided that, look, let me just do what usually I do. Let me just go back to God and seek God's face on it. So he went there. And the scripture says that he called together all the people of Judah. That, hey, we are going to be in great trouble. Come, let's do something about it. So they fasted and they prayed. And in Jehoshaphat's prayer, we see why we ought to be able to give God praise. We see why when we are faced with situation, whatever we are faced, we ought to go back to him. Jehoshaphat heard something. He saw something. Probably he's a man of war. So he knew how messy the war situation could be. So what he had made him afraid, I don't know what you have heard, whether it's a doctor's report, I don't know what you have seen, maybe your business not going well, I don't know whether it's your academics, I don't know what your five senses are telling you, maybe you are feeling something in your body, maybe you, you think that, Charlie, I'm going to have heart palpitations, I don't know how messy that relationship may look like, I don't know what your five senses are telling you, what you are hearing, what the economy is saying, what the media are saying about COVID, now they say that it's bad flu, you don't even know whether you should eat chicken or you shouldn't eat 
chicken. Then you are wondering that you can't, you, you just don't know what to, but I don't know what it is you have heard, but I just came to tell you this morning that regardless of what you have heard, regardless of what you have heard by your ear, regardless of what your eyes have seen, regardless of what you are feeling in your body, regardless of the external circumstances around you, surrounding you, happening on the inside of you, stay in God's presence. Go back to God because he can. So Jehoshaphat calls all these people and then they go to God and Jehoshaphat prays. And this is a prayer Jehoshaphat prayed. His first statement was that, Oh Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Oh Lord God of our fathers. Now that statement is a profound statement. Jehoshaphat is saying that God, you are the ancient of days. You were there before the world was formed. You are the God of our fathers. Our fathers. He's remembering Abraham, I think. He's remembering Isaac. He's remembering Jacob. He's remembering Joseph. He's, he's remembering all these people. He says, oh Lord God of our fathers. He's saying that this is the God that Abraham believed and trusted when he could not have children for 25 years when all his senses were telling him and his body was telling him that look your body is as good as dead. You're not going to have a child. The same Abraham believed this God El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. More than in mind, the almighty God who can do anything and everything. So he says that, oh God of our fathers, are you not the same God when Sarah's body was as good as dead? When you gave that prophecy and Sarah laughed instead of believing, are you not the same God who gave them Isaac, oh God of our fathers? Oh God of our fathers, when Abraham had had his children, when he had Isaac and Isaac married Rebecca and for 20 years they could not have children and Isaac called on you, are you not the same God who opened her womb? And when the country was hard, there was no money anywhere, there was no food, the crops wasn't doing well, and scripture says that there was famine in the whole land. Are you not the one when Isaac wanted to leave and go to another country so you could prosper, you told him that master, stay here because I can't, I am able. So scripture says that and Isaac planted in that same land, in that same land of famine. And scripture says that he didn't reap tenfold, twentyfold, thirtyfold. He reaped a hundredfold. Are you not the same God who prospered him in spite of the economic situations, in spite of the full increments, in spite of the businesses going down, in spite of the fact that there was no money in the system and the politicians seem to be doing whatever they want. Are you not the same God, oh God of our fathers? Oh God of our fathers, I remember when someone betrayed Joseph, his own family, and he was so pain. How could they do this to me and sell me their last born when they should be pampering me, sell me into slavery? Oh God of our fathers. I know the God of Joseph. I know the same God who when he was in slavery and then when he thought everything was settling down, then all of a sudden he found himself in jail because a certain woman harassed him. He said no. He was doing the right thing. So you are doing the right thing, yet trouble is coming to you. Oh God of our fathers, are you not the same God? Are you not the same God who took Joseph out of the pit into Egypt? He became a slave. He went into prison. Are you not the same God who made him prime minister such that an alien, a stranger, an, an, an Israelite, someone whom Egyptians detested became second overall 
and Pharaoh could rest his mind and trusted his whole kingdom to them. Oh God of our fathers. When Jehoshaphat prayed that prayer, he was doing something. He was recollecting God's past victories. What can you recollect? What has God done for you? What has God done for your family? When you thought that marriage could not come on, what did God do for you? When you were in a hard place, what did God do for you? When you had to go through that surgery and you were afraid and you had dreams that, hey, may wave your arm. I'm dead. I'm as good as dead. What did God do for you? When people told you, when people went into the labor ward and they didn't come back with their baby and didn't come back the same, you went once, you went twice, you've been there three times, four times. The Lord God, He delivered you. What has God done for you? Oh God of our fathers. Oh God of our fathers. Joshua's prayer. Oh God of our fathers. What can you remember? What has God done for you? What has that God done for your business? What has God done in your relationship? What has God done? What is he doing right now? What can you recollect? So he says, oh God of our fathers. And he continues, are you not God in heaven? Are you not God in heaven? He's like, yes, I remember this is ancient of days. I remember this God. And is he not God of our fathers? And is he not God in heaven? He said, that, look, our God, his kingdom is not of the earth. He's not limited by the economic situation here. He's not limited by what the earth can do and what it cannot do. He is not limited. He has no earthly constraints. So he says, I should not. God in heaven. He is saying that God, you are God. You made heaven and earth. You rule over all. I should not God in heaven. And he continues to say that. And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? You didn't get what he said. So he said that this God, he's above all earthly restraints. Yet he still has a say in the things that happen on the earth. He has a say in what happens here in Ghana. He has a say in what happens all over the world. And he has a say in you and I alive. Scripture says that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he's saying that, look, you made this earth. You literally created it when there was nothing. So it is yours. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness, the everything in it. Everything you can see, he made it. The world and they that dwell in. He made you and I. He made the kings. Scripture says that the heart of the king is in the hands of God. He can direct it like a water course. It says somebody in authority doing something to you at the workplace that you are not happy about. Scripture says that God is above that authority. Is your marriage not working? Scripture says that as long as you are a Christian and you are the wife submitted to the husband, Scripture says that the head of the husband is Christ. You go back to God. You go back to God with this husband whose heart is so hardened, so hard, so impenetrable, and you go and lay your prayer at his feet. And watch what this God will do for you. Scripture says that the world and they that dwell in, if you are dwelling somewhere, it means that you are alive, you are living. So he's God of the living. So long as you are alive, so long as this God woke you up this morning, so long as you have breath, this is our God. He is more than able to work on your behalf. Our God will give you a testimony. He will give you a testimony. 
and you will shout it from the rooftops and everybody would see you and say that this can only be done by a God who rules in the affairs of men. So he's saying that God, I know God in heaven. And do you not rule over the kingdoms of this earth? That's the God that he was talking about. It's such a profound statement. God of the living. God is Rafa to you. He will give you healing. He is Jaira. He will more than give you daily bread. He is El Shaddai. He is more than enough for you in the hard situation you are in. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. There is none mightier than him. He is mighty to save. Are you in a hard spot? Are your emotions all upside down on the inside of you? Scripture says, come unto me all ye who are weary and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Scripture says, cast your burdens unto him. God is more than willing to give you physical rest, emotional rest. What is your trouble this morning? He's the Lord of hosts. He is God, mighty to save. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they had no food. They looked to the left, to the right, there was nothing to eat. This God, he caused food to rain down from heaven. God, he is your provider. He is Chira to you. He says that if he cares about the lilies, the flowers, he cares about these things and enclose them more beautiful. Is it you made in his own image that God cannot take care of? Is it you when he has formed and fashioned you in his own image? Chira, he will take care of you. Is God a father? And he's the best father out there. He's not going to leave you struggling, going to leave you, leave you as though you were an orphan. He says, I have carried you in my arms. Do you need someone to carry you today? God says that he's the one. And he's here. And he's ready. So he is God, our father. Jehoshaphat continues his prayer. Are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the earth? And he says, power and might are in your hands. Oh, you didn't hear that. Power and might are in your hands. Power and might are in your hands. Our God is mighty to save. The songwriter, I love that song. He says that our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. God will save you. God will deliver you. God will deliver you by a great deliverance. Remember our fathers. Remember when the children of Israel were in Egypt. And they were under slavery. And scripture says that they are groaning. Their troubles had come unto God. And God looked down from heaven and said, look, it's time for me to deliver my people. So he goes and he meets this Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who thinks that he is king of kings. And God just laughs. By the time God is done with him, he has no people. He has very few admirals in his country. And he literally has no battle, no armor, no army. Because the Lord made sure that he dealt completely with him. God is mighty to save. So after he had annihilated the Egyptian army, scripture says that that was before he opened the Red Sea. 
there is nothing too hard for God to do. If God has to make rivers in the wilderness like he did for the Israelites, he will do for you. If God has to part the Red Sea to make a way for you, he will do for you. There is nothing too hard for God to do. Power and might are in his hands. Our God is all powerful. If you are thinking there's some witch in your village, if you are thinking that somebody is keeping their eyes on you, scripture says that God is all-powerful. He is above, far above every dominion, every principality. This God is far above it. Scripture says that no weapon fashioned against you shall prosper. No weapon, absolutely no weapon. No weapon fashioned against you, fashioned against your family, fashioned against your children's children, fashioned against your business. No weapon. So if you think your problem is spiritual, I came to tell you that this is our God. He's more than able. No weapon. Absolutely no weapon. Fashioned against you shall prosper. And every tongue speaking disfavor against you, every tongue speaking things, telling lies about you, such that people cannot look with favor upon you, God will silence. He says that in every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You shall condemn. This is our God. He is powerful. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. It's your heritage. It is yours. You're not going to go begging God for it. This is our God. He has power. He has might. Scripture says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Have you prayed about your situation? Have you almost given up? Scripture says that men ought to pray and of faith. This God is coming through for you. This God will put such a testimony on your lips. This God will make you go out with dancing. Where you have mourned, where you have wept. This is our God. He's going to wipe away your tears. This our God is going to do something magnificent. Something absolutely amazing. Something that will cause people to stare. This our God is going to set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. This our God is going to open a door like no other. This our God, he is going to surprise you. This our God is going to suddenly turn around your situation. This our God, he has all power. He is not limited. This our God. This our God. I could stay here. This God. This God. This God. Just a little longer. Just a little longer. This God. This God, this God, this God. He continues, the same God, the same God will work a miracle in your life. The same God, he's a faithful God. Would you trust him? Would you stay a little longer in his presence? Would you stay doing what you've always been doing in church? Would you not give up? Would you not lose hope? Would you not resort to your own devices? You know, sometimes things can happen in your life. You can be so pained. You can be so bitter. And then you're like, okay, no, that's it. I'm done, etc. Like, I'm God. I mean, any reasonable person would do A, B, and C. But this God, would you stay because he can? Would you stay because he can do something about your situation? You think you've waited so long. Would you stay? Would you not move? Would you stop fretting? Would you stay? 
because he can, because he is able, because he is mighty to save, would you stay? Would you stay? And he says that, are you not all powerful? In your hand is there no power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. No one can withstand what God is going to do in your life. No one can withstand what's going to do about your situation. No one can fight against God and win. No one. Absolutely no one. So David says that he entrusts himself to God. Because if you entrust your God, yourself to God, whoever is engaged looking for you will have to go through God first. It's not possible. He entrusted himself to God. Jehoshaphat entrusted himself to God. Because he knew that, look, if I go for help from, from, from Egypt, I've heard in times past kings went to do that. And they were utterly, totally destroyed because the Lord God had a final say. He allowed it. I, I, I don't want to go to the king of Israel. This king cried. He had issues with God. I don't want to go there. Unless God says I formed the wrong alliance. I want to go back to default. I want to seek the face of God. Because I know that this God... If God says it, no one can say no. If God says yes to your situation, no man can say no. If God says yes, if God says let it be into your life, no one can say no. So he says, yes, let me go to this God because no one can withstand him. He is not man. He's not a small God. He is God, king of kings, king above all. He is the Lord of hosts. No one can withstand God. Let me go to God. Would you go to God this morning? Would you stay in God's presence? Would you? And then he goes on to recount all the good things that God had done in their lives. He reminds God that he's a covenant-keeping God. So he starts by saying that, look, God, when we left Egypt, you gave us this land. You drove such and such people away. These people were even coming against us. We could have fought them with you. But he said, no, spare them. I saw we have spared them. God, see how they reward us. So they are coming against us. So, but you said, this is Orlando. You gave it to us. If you, oh God, are the covenant-keeping God, covenant-keeping God, God is not a man that he should lie, not the son of man that he should change his mind. Is this something God has said? He's more than able to do. So he says, oh God, I'm reminding you. I know you are Ratha. I know you are Jaira. I've seen you do all that. I've seen you heal diseases. I've seen you come through, provide, etc. But this morning, today, God, in the midst of this fight, in the midst of all that's happening, I want to remind you, oh God, that you are the covenant-keeping God. Our God is the covenant-keeping God. God never loses a battle. God never changes his mind concerning you. He says, I see the plans I have for you. They are good. They are of good and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. You have a future in God. There is hope in God. It's only God that is in God. Scripture says that he acteth no sorrow. Look, God is a covenant-keeping God. So he went to the covenant-keeping God. He started reminding him, you said this. You did this. Are you going to stand by and watch these people rob your children, your children of their inheritance? Covenant-keeping God, there is no one like you. Alpha and Omega, there is no one like you.
like you. He's God of the beginning. If God has started with you, he will end with you. You know, he doesn't talk about the middle because there's no point. There is no point. He sees the end from the beginning. By the time he's spoken, he's spoken the end. So he says that I am Alpha. I'm at the beginning, I'm at the end. Whatever happens in the middle, just hold on. Trust my promise. I'm the covenant-keeping God. I'll get you to that end. So he called on the covenant-keeping God. There is no one like him. He is not a liar. He speaks only in the truth. All the ways of the Lord are perfect. He's a shield to those who trust in him. So if it seems like you're not in your promise yet, hold on. He's a shield to you. He will help you keep your faith if only you go back to him. It may not look like it right now, but he's a shield protecting you from all the doubts, protecting you from all the anxiety, protecting you from all what people are saying, protecting you from any negative thing negative that comes to counteract your faith and your disbelief in him that he can get you to the other side. He is a covenant-keeping God. Alpha and Omega, there is no one like you. He answers by fire. He can answer strongly when he wants to. Scripture says, when the prophet of God, called on him and there were other prophets of Baal to show who was God. He answered by fire. God of Abraham, God of our fathers, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Covenant keeping God. There's no one like him. Absolutely no one like him. So would you stay, ask again. Would you stay a little in God's presence because he can, because he can keep his covenant, because he's not going to leave you stranded. Would you stay Covenant-keeping God, there is no one like you. God or powerful. When he has done that, reminding him, he reminds God once again that, look, God, I'm only man. I'm frail. He reminds God of their limitations, that they can't. Stay with God, because on your own, you won't make it. David says that, God, earth has nothing I desire but you. And who have I in heaven except you, O God? If I look to my left, my right, I only have you. If I look up, I only have you. It's only with God. You can't make it on your own. But with God, you can make it. You will make it. So he acknowledges his limitation. You can't do it. You're not the doctor. They've given you a report. What can you do about it? You have to go back to the chief healer, Jehovah Rapha, and tell him, Scripture says that, is there no balm in Gilead? He's only telling you that it's God not able to heal. Is the solution not in God, such that you have to go elsewhere? Is there no balm in the house of God that you have to leave God's house when you're in distress? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no balm in Gilead? There is balm in Gilead for your trouble today. There is balm in the house of God. There is balm in the presence of God. All you need is God's presence. All you need is God's presence. So he acknowledges that I can't. My healing is with you. My, my peace is with you. When you got born again, it's all your, my, my peace of mind. The things troubling me. The things causing me anxiety. The things I, I think I ought to have now. Like, I'm not having it. The things I want to see in my relationship. That's not working. The things that are supposed to happen in my business. Look, it can keep me away from you because the cares of life are weighing me down. It's, I'm, I'm distressed. I'm anxious to the left, to the right. I'm thinking about school fees. You should have a better life by now. 
I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm going old. Would that guy not come? My, my business is not doing well. I, I only just married. God, what's happening? My, my, my mind is full. Cares of this life. And he says that there's balm. Would you stay? Would you stay just a little more? Stay because he can. And when they are great, God answers. And guess what he says? Do not be afraid or dismayed. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Because of this great multitude, because of the great trouble that has come your way, because of the great anxiety that has come your way, do not be afraid. Do not set your mind on it. Do not let your heart palpitate. Look, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not. Fear will come. I will try to creep in. When you think you have peace of mind, when your mind is on other things, it will try to sneak up on you. But he says, do not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because I am able. I'm God. You've entrusted it into me. I am able. Don't be afraid. Not dismayed. And God acknowledges that it's indeed a great multitude coming against him. God knows that to you, using your human strength, the trouble, the situation you are in right now, it's great. It's insurmountable to you. You need help. And God did not call you to himself to make you walk alone. He wants to walk with you through life's journey because he knows that with Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, you will make it. The disciples had to cross over to the other side. And scripture says that there was a storm that came against them. And it was such a great storm that the waters swept in over the boat. And the boat almost sank. And they called out to Jesus. Jesus was in the boat. Yet they encountered trouble. You are in Christ. You are Christian. But you will encounter trouble in this life. So when they had encountered the trouble, they called on Jesus. Jesus was like, look, why are you so afraid? Why do you have so little faith? And guess what this miracle-working God did? He spoke to the winds. He spoke to the storm. And immediately, they stilled. And the disciples were amazed. They're like, who is this man? Who is this? I mean, we, we thought we knew him. But what he just did, I mean, I can't see the wind. I could feel it. It was great. Who is this man? He just spoke to the wind. He just spoke to the storms. And it's calmed. Who is he? God will do something so much that you know him like never before. You'll be so amazed. You know that God did it. But you'll be like, who is this? Who is this? Who just did this? Is this the same God I serve? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed because of this great multitude. Do you know why? Because the battle is not yours, but God's. Because the battle to win over this thing is not yours, it's God's. So give it over to him. That's why he said, do not be afraid. If you, Joey Shaffer King, was going to fight this conglomerate nation, by the way they have meant you and everything, you will lose. But you call on me. Oh, and I'm the Lord of hosts. Scripture says that the Lord, he's a man of war. You called on me. And so I am rising up. I am going to fight this battle for you. So he says that do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. Because the battle is not yours. This great situation, this trouble. I'm not expecting you to handle it on your own. Give it back to me. Give it to me. Because the battle is not yours. But it's the Lord's. Do not fret. Do not let your heart be disheartened. Do not be dismayed. Verse 17, he says you will not need to fight in this battle. Ah, ah. God, did you just hear the prayer I prayed? <laughs> Let me just remind you. I said that the king of Ammon 
the Moabites, the Syrians, all these, they said, and others, a conglomerate of nations. God, did you hear that? That's, that's, that's the group I said. And they have weapons of war. They are skilled at war. And we took this land. You gave us this land. Now they are angry. They are coming back. So they are not just skilled at war. They are really furious. Have you watched those action movies? Then the blow man, they'll be fighting her. Then the blow man, one day, suddenly at the end, just when you think he's about to die, he remembers something that the opponent did, the adversary did, that made him so angry that he gets some energy and then he gives him one last punch and then, hey! <laughs> we all knew the blow man would win, but then he has won. And he's like, hey! He's only angry too, so they are like the last minute people. And me, if you look at me, I'm just a small nation. Oh God, I'm just reminding you. He says you don't need to fight this battle. Hey, God, I thought you'd have said go to Egypt. So I give you permission. But he says you don't need to fight this battle. So, God, if we will not fight, what should we do? You said we shouldn't fight. So, God spoke through a prophet. I think it's a very lengthy passage. So, God spoke through a prophet and told him that, look, they are going to come by here and here. God knows what your enemy is doing. God knows their situation more than you do. They sure didn't know where the adversary was going to come from. But God spoke allowed the prophet to prophesy and told them where and where at such and such a place that's their enemies are going to be gathered. And then he told them that they should not be dismayed. They will not need to fight this battle. That's all. So God, you are coming here. You said I shouldn't fight this battle. You've given me location. Give me strategy now. I need strategy. But there's no strategy coming for usually the only strategy is that you don't need to fight. Stay with God because he can't. Joseph's heart could have melted. God, this is your answer, dear. Please let me help you a little. Let me do plan B. But scripture says that he stayed with God. So, Joshaphat, um, how do you call it? Position yourself, stand still. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. You don't need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Stand still and see. Stand still. Don't fret. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your emotions be troubled. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Israel. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. God is with you this morning. He says he will never leave you nor forsake you. In the fire, he's with you. In the flood, he's with you. In the hard times, he's with you. When you have plenty, he's with you. When you have nothing, he's with you. When you are hard pressed on every side, he's with you. He is with you. When it feels like you are being crushed, he is with you. He is with you all the time, every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every minute, every second, every week, 52 weeks, he is with you. Three, six, five days, God is with you. He has been with you from January to July, and you continue to be with you from August to December, and when by God's grace we enter into 2022, God is still going to be with you. He is with you. And he bowed his face to the ground and they all worshipped the Lord. And then they praised the, the Lord, etc. Then early in the morning, verse 20, so they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa and they went out and then Jehoshaphat spoke with, to the people. And he says, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. So he says that, look, here we are, we've gathered, we've gone out. Believe what God has said. Oh. Have faith in God. Believe it. Because when you believe it, that's when we will we'll prosper. When you believe what God has said, that is when you see his goodness in the land of the living. Child of God, what has God told you this morning? What has God said regarding your situation? Would you believe him? Would you stay on his word? Would you stay because he can? Would you stay? So he says, I believe him. And then he says that, believe also his prophets that you shall prosper. 
And he meant that, look, the Lord spoke to your prophet. Believe whatever the prophet has said. And believe whatever else God is going to speak. Because God chooses choice men sometimes to speak to us. God can choose to speak to us in any way. So he says, believe. It shall believe the word I speak to you this morning. Even as God has inspired me to speak to you. If you shall believe the word of the Lord regarding your situation, it shall be well with you. And when he had consulted with the people, etc., then they, God gave them a strategy. So he appointed those who should go and sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. It doesn't make sense. You are going for war. The army is behind. Then you've called, it's like calling out the pastor, the Levites. Hey, Mumra, hurry up, come. Go ahead of us. They are not really, and just praise God. Just give him thanks. Just praise him. Praise him. So they were going, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. You are going to battle. God has shown them where the enemy is going to come from. God has said they should go as well with them, etc. And then they go out singing and rejoicing. But see what happens. Scripture says that now when they began to sing, now when they began to sing and to praise, to tell the Lord they are thankful, to thank him for all the goodness. And that's what they were saying, thank him for his mercy. Even the things you've done for us that we didn't deserve for your goodness. When they were just praising the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. You didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. God, scripture says that when they began to sing, when they began to sing, the Lord set ambushes. The Lord set ambushes when their praise went up. He was enthroned in their praise. The Lord God came to do for them what they could not do. Where is your praise this morning? Where is your praise this morning? Child of God, would you allow your worry, your trouble to cover your praise? Would you just for one minute think about God's goodness to you and lift up your voice, even as you are seated, and just begin to praise him? Praise him because he woke you up this morning. Praise him because last week you were sick, but this morning you are better. Praise him even when you are not feeling well because you have the gift of life. Lord, from the depths of your heart, scripture says that when we lie down, when we wake up, it's only because God woke us up. Would you thank God that you are awake this morning? You are awake that there is hope for you. You are not dead. There is hope for those who live. Make a bundo shadeka branda yakaya. Ye kaseturi kisanda shadaya. Rekaya kaya kaya. Ah kasendere kiyeka ye kaya. When you look at your life, ye kebosko setere kaya. You can see God has answered your prayers in times past. Shadeka brandaya. Make a sendere you said you wanted to take seed the Lord gave it to you would you give him thanks you married the Lord gave you marriage would you give him thanks you said you wanted children see how the Lord has blessed you when you had no clothes to wear see what he did for you would you open your mouth and bless the name of the Lord you wanted a job you got the job last two weeks last three weeks your child was sick but she's no more sick would you open your mouth and bless the name of the Lord Shadaya, Rake Tori, Cassandi, Kibosha, Dedica, Brandi, Kayam. 